Welcome to the Glory Podcast. We're so glad that you're listening. Our mission is to declare God's glory. Please visit glorychurchkc.com to hear all of our other messages. Well, good morning again. Welcome to Glory Church Online and Happy Easter. My name is Greg McKinney and my wife and I are the lead pastors here at Glory Church and we are so Uh, So honored to have you watching in your home where you're at, joining us this morning. What a celebration. Easter Sunday. I don't know about you, but it has been a powerful week for me. Uh, We at Glory Church have been diving in day by day into the life of Jesus, where he was, what he was doing on that specific day. And if you're like me, it was really needed. Uh, It is so often that my my heart gets uh, weighed down by tasks or duties, and it was just powerful to feel what Jesus felt this past week, to uh, sit in the weight of Maundy Thursday, of that day where he washed his disciples' feet, where he had to love the unlovable Judas, but he still loved him well. He wanted to love him well. And then Good Friday, right, where we mourned together, where we said, let's feel the weight of this death, because it's through the death that life came. And so we, we set in that. And then yesterday, right, Silent Saturday, this, this what happened, what was going on, what were people feeling, that absence of hope, the feeling that, that nothing is moving, of no movement, no word, silence. Every bit of it, every prayer that we prayed this week, every, script, every scripture that you read, every devotion, all of it points to one thing, today. In fact, every bit of the story of of Holy Week leads to Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, New Life Sunday, and I am so excited for this morning. What I'm talking about is not something fancy, it's not eloquent, but it is truth. Because something I know all too well is that a sinless man in history died a death of a sinner so that we sinful men, women, might inherit, might become his righteousness, his goodness, that, that that transition, that happened. And so though I have nothing fancy to say, there is something powerful in today. So I just want you, just let's just sit in that together. Let's learn from it. This morning, I am talking about the theme, as I said already, uh, I'm talking about the theme of victory, victory. And, and I'm beyond excited. So as I say that, where you are right now, whether you're sitting on a couch, whether you're in a car, whether you're in, in the bathroom, whether you're making your breakfast, where you are right now, I challenge you, can you just speak the word victory? Victory. Are you ready? We could do it together. Victory. I know that's weird. I know that's strange, but I want you to just feel it as it comes out of your mouth. Victory. Because it is so, I don't know about you, but it is so uncommon for my daily life. Like that word itself. I don't use it in conversations. I don't, I don't talk about it to my, my wife. I don't say the word victory to my kids. Uh, I, don't, I don't think about it when I plan my day ahead, when I write out my to-do list. The word victory is nowhere in it. I mean, apart from the, the random sports games that I watch, including, you know, the victory of our chiefs, and apart from various worship songs, I don't really use that word. And I bet you don't either. The word victory is so uncommon, but I want to sit on this because I want to pose a thought. I was just thinking, what if my small usage of the word victory is related also 
to the lack of victory that I actually feel in my life. Because if I'm really honest with myself, if I just sit down and I'm brutally honest, I could admit to the fact that just like I don't say the word victory very often, I also don't experience it. And there's a problem in there because as a man who was given uh, new life by Jesus, victory is my name. It is who I am. It is what I am in and where I am found. And just like I don't speak the word victory, too often I don't, I don't feel it. I don't experience it. I have a hard time grasping it. And maybe you are right there with me. But this morning I'm teaching on victory because it is the essence of the resurrection. That a God saw men, women, bound by their sin. And though they could get it atoned for year after year through this constant work, he knew it wasn't an internal thing. He knew that that wasn't going to satisfy his wrath, only the death of a man. But yet at the same time, man cannot rise again. So he sent himself, 100% man, 100% God, to die, to take on wrath for the purpose of victory, that whoever follows him would have that life, that victory. It is in the essence of the cross that victory is the next step. It is the proclamation of Jesus' death was that he was victorious over it. In fact, as we dive into this, I want to, there's a principle that we need to just solidify, that our souls actually were made to crave victory. Even in the garden, victory is what they knew. Uh, this, this, this victor of our God, he created us to desire, to long for victory. And in a quarantine like this, we long for the way out, right? We long for this, uh, this healing, this moment where there is an end to our pain. We crave victory. We love the experience of freedom that comes with it. The lo we long for the peace that accompanies victory, the hope. But at the same time that we crave victory, I also know something else. Our flesh struggles to fathom it. We struggle to fathom it. Though we crave the feeling, the, the experience of victory, we also struggle to see what it would be like. We struggle to believe that it is there because we struggle to fathom it. And that is an attention that we're speaking into this morning because on that very first Easter Sunday, there is a whole host of disciples, followers, committed followers of Jesus who lived in this tension, who desired, who sought after, whose very souls craved victory, craved an answer, craved a healing, craved a, a, a good thing. Yet at the same time, their flesh, their fears, their worries, their feeling of defeat, it clouded. It, it prohibited them from fathoming victory. And in that unfathomable state, it's very interesting. In that unfathomable state, we are really quick to overlooking victory when it's right in front of us. Because what tends to happen in the unfathomable is we start putting in the pieces ourselves of what we think victory will look like, of what we think victory uh, will, will be like when it happens. And what ends up happening is we place on it these preconceived expectations that actually hurt our ability to see it when it comes. So as we get into this, this morning, this text, we're going to dive into literally the story itself, the resurrection story, John 20. You can get yourself ready for it if you have a Bible with you. But I, want to, I just want to ask you this question. It's a question that we're going to pose this morning, and hopefully it leads you into some newness. 
to some open-eyed and open-heart newness. What if our struggle to experience victory right now is because it actually looks different than what we expect? What if we are expecting the wrong thing? What if we are longing for a, a, a good thing that actually is, is narrowing our vision from the great thing that is actually happening now? What if our current struggle, the struggle that you've been feeling to feel his presence, the struggle that has kept you in addiction, the struggle that has kept you bound by fear, bound by doubt, bound by insecurities, what if it is remaining there because you are expecting victory to look different? And so the victory that's in front of you is overlooked, unseen. This is exactly what is going on in every single one of the disciples this morning. As they saw, as they saw Jesus, but struggled to actually see him. It makes sense in a second, but what if the victory and the feeling that we have is not because it's not there, but because we're just struggling to fathom it? My prayer, my hope is that this morning we can learn to fathom we can learn to expect. We can learn to hope, to anticipate the work, the active work of victory now. So as we get into this, I just want to challenge you. Uh, ask God, open my eyes, my heart, because when we get into this, there are two truths about victory that I know Jesus is wanting us to see. Because if you want to know victory this morning, it's found in knowing Jesus. And that is not some fluffy, just pray about it phrase. I'm not saying that as just know Jesus. No, we need to dive into what Jesus was doing, who he was, what he was proclaiming on this Easter morning. Because if you want to know victory, look at Jesus this morning. It's powerful. The story itself is powerful. So he's showing us two very different things about victory, and I will tell you it is very different than anyone in the story expected. So you ready? John chapter 20, and we're going to start at verse 1. Scripture says that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus had loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been covering Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place all by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, probably John, he also went in. And when he saw, he believed that the body was taken. For they did not understand the scriptures yet, that he must rise from the dead. And so the disciples, they returned home. I want to pause there. They returned home. They saw the actual breadcrumbs of victory, yet saw it as defeat, yet saw it as another negative added to the book of what they thought was the life, now the death of Jesus. This, this rolled up head covering, they didn't see it and wonder why. Why is it not with the others? They saw it in their fears. Though they craved victory, their flesh struggled to fathom it. And so through lenses of fears, they responded and went home. But we see in the text, if you continue, and we will so, do so, that Mary remains at the tomb, and she cries. She's broken. Verse 11 says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. 
And as she wept, verse 12 says, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to him, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But get this, she did not know that it was Jesus. What do you do when you have victory standing in front of you, yet you are so stuck in the unfathomable that you cannot experience it? Jesus was there. And so Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener. Now, supposing Jesus to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you carried him away, if you carried my Lord away, please tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And we are going to pause here because something extraordinary is happening, something astounding, that Mary herself sees the victorious Savior, Jesus himself, yet discounts him as a gardener. She has victory standing in her presence. Victory was standing right in front of her, yet absent from her experience. This is very telling. I wonder how often as I look back in my my life that, that God's victory was right there, but I was overlooking it because I was so clouded by my unfathomable fear, by what I couldn't comprehend. And instead of leaning into the moment, Jesus is right there, And I'm calling him, discounting him as a gardener. A gardener. The victor is called a gardener. Victory was standing in front of her, yet absent from her experience. And we're going to come back to this interaction. But before we get there, I actually want to jump ahead to an interaction that Jesus had with the rest of the disciples. So we're going to skip. And then the reason is because I want you to see their reaction to this victorious Jesus as well. So John continues in verse 19, and he says that when it was evening on that day, so Sunday, Easter Sunday evening, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Luke says that the disciples were instantly they were, they were fearful. They were instantly weighed down by fear and worry, thinking that this was a ghost. This was a ghost. They could not fathom new life. Though they craved it, they could not fathom new life so much that they discounted Jesus now as a ghost. There's an old song that just is reminded of me. It was called A Ghost of a Good Thing. And I think that this is what they saw Jesus as. They discounted him that often when we are so stuck in the unfathomable of our flesh, the fears, the worries, when we struggle to see beyond, like we talked about last week, we often start adding on things to our expectation of victory so that when it comes, We just discount it as insignificant. That is just a ghost of a good thing. This isn't really Jesus. He can't be. It's just a ghost of a good thing. I I am broken and humbled by all the times when I know in my worry or pain or brokenness, Jesus was present doing things, doing acts of victory, yet I discounted them as insignificant. They were just ghosts of a good thing. And so the story, though, continues because it is powerful. After he said this, Scripture says in verse 20, 
he showed them his hands and his side. And then it says, then the disciples rejoiced when they saw Jesus. Do you get this? They saw him before, but discounted him as a ghost. But something happens that he showed them his hands and his side. And then they rejoiced because they saw the Lord. And so he said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, so I send you. I will say that victory looks different than we think. And right here, Jesus is showing us something because these men were in a room and discounted him as a ghost until victory spoke. I want you to write this down, that victory speaks through wounds. Victory speaks through wounds. It was not until the Lord showed them his wounds, his pierced side, his hands, that they saw him as Lord. This is huge. I don't know if you're realizing this, but often for the longest time, the Jews always saw the victorious Savior as being strong and mighty and coming with this iron fist, this this sword, and, and destroying anything that was in its way, in his way. And he was just immaculate, beautiful, powerful. And yet we see here, I even wonder, I wonder what they thought victory was now, since it wasn't going to be with Jesus anymore in their mind. It wasn't a ghost, but right here, victory shows itself and it clicks because Jesus shows that victory speaks through wounds. If you're writing notes down, write this down, that victory isn't the absence of wounds, but it's the display of life despite them. Victory isn't the absence of wounds. We often think that it is when these these wounds are healed that victory will be found, but it's actually Victory is shown in amazing ways when you see life despite wounds. When you see life, too often we believe that good will come when this is healed. This is gone. But wounds are tough. Think about it. When you see a wound, you feel for that person. When you see a wound, it brings you back either to the pain that you had or you feel pain for them. You are ushered into this response We forget that victory is seen through wounds, but Jesus is showing it. And instantly the disciples get connected because they saw the nails being driven into his hands. And then it clicked. If you went through that and are here now, you must be alive. It's reminding them of the death that he went through and now he's standing here. He is Lord. Victory speaks through It's like they're saying, you experienced that, yet you're here, Lord. It is you. And I will say, victory is shown in my life, not by me trying to cover up my wounds, not by me trying to put on this victorious self, but I have learned over and over that people see Christ's victory in me when I do not hide my blemishes, when I do not hide my brokenness, when I do not hide my fears, but instead as I show them, people start saying, Greg, you feel that or you experienced that or you did that in your past, yet you are here now like this? God must be here. God must be in it. Do you, do you get that? People can look at you and say, you experienced that, yet you have the peace you do? God must be there. Why? Because victory is not communicated by perfection. No, perfection is found as victory is is grown again and again in our life. But no, 
Victory is communicated by the wounds, by the fact that we have life despite them, that we have peace and growth and development, that God is ushering in something new still, despite heartache, pain, fear. Maybe you have been struggling to feel victory because you keep thinking it will be when this life gets better, when you get that job, when you start making the paycheck that'll provide for your family, that'll be when you feel victory or when you get over this or when you, when you move beyond that or when quarantine is over. I don't know, but we often label victory something that leads us out of our wounds, but really God wants to show us that the wound has victory attached to it already because today is the day that the Lord has made and he's with you. And the fact that he's with you despite your wound is victorious. It is victorious. Jesus is here. I need you to stop showing that you're perfect and to showcase your weaknesses. It's that whole when Paul says that I have been crucified with Christ and the life that I live, I no longer live by the flesh, but I live, I live in faith by the Son of God who died for me, that when you see me, now you should see the death of Jesus so that you see all the heartache, my weakness, that you may see his strength. That is when it's proclaimed. Victory is spoken through wounds. But there's a second truth, right? We're going to go back to the story of Mary. And though it happens uh, before this, what we've been talking about, though we get this truth before in chronological order, I... I wanted to leave it to the end because there's a truth about victory that is seen over and over and over, over this day in, in history, that first Easter, and the following weeks as Jesus spent time with his disciples. We learn something powerful about victory. So not just does victory uh, show itself fully through wounds, but victory also speaks into wounds. That the victorious Savior did not come almighty and say, come clean and come to me. But instead, victory always showcases its wounds and then speaks into the wounds of others. That's how you know victory is present. is because there are wounds that are being seen and wounds that are being spoken into. So one by one by one, the voice of Jesus is directing itself to characters in the Bible stories, to real life characters pointing out their wounds and speaking into it. And you'll see in each and every one, he brings the wound, yet also brings them out of it, commissions them to something else. And this is what victory does. It's almost like Jesus is saying, now you have seen victory through my wounds. Now I need to showcase victory by speaking into yours, by speaking into yours. So Mary Right, we're going to go back to that in verse 16. Mary, a woman who was possessed by a demon for years. Did you know that? She was redeemed by Jesus himself. And then she gave her life, her whole self to him, this man. And so for probably for the whole three years of his ministry, she was side by side him. She knew Jesus. He knew her. Just like all the disciples, but this woman, think of how long she did not know herself. And then Jesus showed her life. And now the absence of Jesus, can you think of what your flesh would do when the literal person who brought you healing is now gone? You, your, your lies in your mind can now think, without him, who am I? 
If he's not here, am I powerless? Will the demons come back? There's so many wounds that could be pressed in on Mary, yet I love the story of this, that she's the first one he speaks to because he's speaking directly into her heart. So you know the story. She's calling him a gardener. And then it picks up in verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said in Hebrew, Rabuni. Rabboni, which means teacher. In other words, he spoke her name again, and it connected. You are my Lord. You're here. You're real. I'm not alone. You're here. And so inevitably, uh, love grew in her, and so I guess she hugged him. She held him tight because verse 17 says, Jesus said to her, do not hold on to me. Do not hold on. You don't have to hold me. You don't need me with you to be powerful. Do not hold on to me because I have yet to ascend. I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go. Go. He sends her. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. So Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. He spoke powerfully into her wound and then gave her a purpose beyond it. Does that make sense? He, she doesn't have to be tied to him like what our fears or our flesh is when, when that good thing is gone. No, you have a purpose because victory is your name. And so he commissions and into her wounds he spoke this commission, this this purpose, this power, this meaning. And I love it because we see this over and over, doubting Thomas, right? Jesus comes. He doesn't expect doubting Thomas to be better than he is. He doesn't get mad or rebuke doubting Thomas or get angry with him and leave. No, he speaks into doubting Thomas's wound of doubt and then commissions him out and say, you need to have faith believe without seeing. He, he gives him a purpose beyond it. Peter, who goes to fishing. Peter, the man who, who denied Jesus. I cannot imagine the weight of lies and the amount of shame that this man feels. He, I, I can only imagine like his thought of, am I just as bad as Judas? How could I have done that? Where did that come from? Peter, how could you have said that three times How could you have denied your Lord? How could you have done that in his time of need? And as he's wallowing in this, in this pain, in this wound, because of such pride he's had for so long, Jesus comes and speaks into it. And if you know the story, he sits with him, has breakfast with him, and then at the end commissions him. He says, Peter, go feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. I have a purpose for you beyond this wound. Victory is not just in you seeing me, but it's now playing an active role in you. Victory is now speaking into who you are and calling you to who you are. Speaking into who you are now and calling you into who I've designed you to be. There is a commission. And if you even know at the end of Matthew, right, that great commission, it's given to you, given to me that we are being spoken into. Our wounds are being seen, and to each of us, Jesus gives a commission, and the same is happening. But some of you, I will say, have hidden your wounds, hidden your brokenness, your pain, your fears, your insecurities for so long 
that you've become hardened to the voice of victory spoken over you. You've been hardened in it. But a commission is happening this morning. He's calling you out to do something. Some of us have been, ha, have been so closed on certain wounds that we're missing the victory that he's speaking now. He's speaking it now. Yes, you doubt. Yes, you are struggling with lust. Yes, you still dive into anger. Yes, you still have envy. Yes, there's still bitterness in your heart. Yes, you fear. Yes, you have insecurities, shame. You believe that you are unworthy. Yes, you sinned. But that does not stand against victory. In fact, victory is now defined by us if we're in Christ Jesus. So what he does over and over and over is say, let me use your wound to bring about victory. And let me now speak into it in such a way where I lead you to doing something for my kingdom, for my glory, and for your good. For your good. Because that's not victory when we hide things. It's not victory when we just hope that things will get better. No, victory is when we see the better amidst it, that God is working, speaking, and acting. But for some of you, you're watching um, and you don't know victory. Maybe for the first time you're starting to see Jesus for who he really is. You haven't fathomed a Jesus like this for a long time. You've seen him, his church. You've seen God as this, this thing that you have to dress up to go to. As this, this act, this, this obligation, this duty that you must put on an act for. And often in our even Western culture, we believe that we have to put on this, this betterness in order to get into the presence of God. But he says, come as you are. In fact, strip it down. No, nothing. Right? Like, remove the sandals and just be you in my presence. And we are so afraid of that. We're so afraid. But it is by that, by us being us, that Jesus is able to speak into it. And so for some of you, for the first time, you, you maybe are wanting that, a victory that is beyond the life that you're living. Because you keep trying, you keep trying, but there's no success in it. There's no hope, no purpose, no plan. And for the first time, you're saying, I want the victory that speaks into wounds and the victory that is seen by wounds. I, I want Jesus. And so the really cool thing, is that if you're watching online with us, there's an opportunity for you to do that right now. In fact, this, this online portal that we're using, uh, there's an opportunity, an option for you to, uh, to respond and then start having a conversation with a real person because we as a church want to stand with you. If you're watching on Facebook or after outside of Sunday morning, please message us. If this is something where you're wanting to live in victory, if you're wanting to take that opportunity and say for the first time, I want that Jesus. I want that faith. I want that life. Then friend, like we want to walk it with you. And so right now, that's your opportunity for those watching live. Please message us, direct message, email us. If you're watching it outside of Sunday morning, uh, we would love to just live with you in that. But to everyone else, God is speaking right now. He is with you. And I just challenge you. Let's not take what he's doing and call it insignificant. Let's not be so stuck in our unfathomable expectations of what he should do or what he will do that we overlook the victor 
the victorious Savior who is standing in front of us. Let's not discount him as a gardener today. Let's see him for who he is, his wounds, his life, and allow us then to showcase our own wounds. What is he commissioning you to do? How is he speaking? What doubt, what lie is he trying to speak victory into this morning? Thanks for listening to the Glory Podcast. For more information about this message or Glory Church, please visit glorychurchkc.com.